Guys, two years ago, this college ministry was a college ministry of one university. Tonight, we have eight different universities in this room. Can we go down the list? University of St. Thomas. Concordia, Concordia, where you at? Yes. University of Northwestern. We got Bethel people? Yeah. All right. UW River Falls, we got some Falcons? Yes. No, yes, great. Awesome. McAllister, where's my McAllister boys at? Yes. All right. And Hamlin, do we have any Hamlin people? Nope. Couple, all right. Uh, we'll work on that for next fall. All right. Welcome. Welcome to Salt St. Paul. We're so excited for you to be here. Hey, what's some rivalries going on? Relax, gosh. Oh my gosh, I am so sorry. St. Kate, Kitty Cat. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I literally, I literally almost had a heart attack right there. I'm so sorry. St. Kate's, baby. Awesome. All right, hey, energy is good. Let me pray as we enter into our time together. Father, we want tonight to be only, only about you. Not any of us in this room, not Salt St. Paul, not the flashy lights or the great music. We want tonight to be about you. Jesus, would you make yourself known tonight? Would your word be preached? Would you move in this place? Father, we believe that tonight you are having divine appointments with people in this room. So, Father, we believe that tonight is not any normal night, but you will move in this place. We believe that. May tonight be honoring to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, who here is a state fair person? Okay, yeah. Yeah, like every year. I'm not. I'm not, okay? I'm not. But I went twice this year. How did that happen? I don't even know. It's just, it happened. Great things. Hey, there's some good things about the state fair. How about them frickles? You guys like frickles? No? So you guys don't like that? Cheese curds? Come on. Cheese curds? Sweet Martha cookies, 19 bucks for a bucket. I do it again. I do it again. So good. There's also some pretty stiff negatives. Like when you got a cha-cha slide out of the way of poop in the middle of the road. Like, come on. What, why, why? Why is that happening? When it's a hot day and someone's sweaty shoulder hits your shoulder, you're like, not like this, please? It's brutal. All right. One of the times that we went to the state fair this year, my wife and I got to go to a concert. And something really interesting happened at that concert where the performer artist, he's going crazy, you know, wearing all black, ooh, so cool, lights, you know, guitar, whatever. And he says this statement, my mission statement for you tonight. And guys, I'm expecting him to say something super deep, you know? I'm like, and racism, okay? Spread love, yes. Give you money, I'm like, please. <laughs> Just dish it out. But instead, what this performing artist said really caught my attention. What he said was, my mission statement for you tonight is to help you forget about your life outside of these fairgrounds. And in that moment, 20,000 people raised a glass and cheered. This is what sociologists would call this idea of escapism. 
this reality that life is so painful, that there's this brokenness within our hearts, and the way that we try to solve the brokenness in our life is just to forget. It's to distract, it's to escape from it through social media, through drinking, through someone's body, whatever it is, at a concert, any way just to forget about the pain in your life. I think many of us know what this is like. Where on the outside, your life looks pretty good, but on the inside, you're just living day by day just trying to forget about your pain. So here's the conversation I'm going to have with you tonight. I don't want to tell you about a life to forget. I want to tell you how to live a life worth remembering. I want to tell you about how at 90 years old, you can look back and say, my life was worth it. I lived for things that matter, and I left a legacy. Okay, just want to address something. It is quite literally 300 degrees in here. I'm going to sweat so bad. Some of you guys like fanning yourself, like that's going to help you. Don't waste the calories, okay? It's not. It's not going to help you. You're just going to get hotter. I've, I've, done, I've been in this situation before. All right. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to get you a Bible. We have a box of Bibles out there. If not, you can take out an app or it will be on the screens. But John chapter 1 is where we're going to be camping out. Here's why. The primary person we're going to be studying tonight is JB, okay? Not Justin Bieber. Some of you guys are like, really? <laughs> no, not John Bonds, although that was funny. Uh, that's hilarious. You guys, for the, those of you guys, anyways, it's fine. We're going to be studying John B., okay? John the Baptist. That's right. That's who we're going to be studying. In John chapter 1, here's why we're going to be studying John the Baptist. Here's what Jesus said about John the Baptist. That of those born of women, he was the greatest. In other words, what I want to show you in this text tonight is that John the Baptist lived a life that mattered. He left a legacy with his life, maybe in an unconventional way. So that's where we're going to be in John chapter 1. My two points for you tonight is if you want to live a life that matters, you need to have clarity on who you are. And the second thing is you need to have clarity on who Jesus is. Look with me to verse 19. Here's what the word of God says. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed but did not deny but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Verse 23 says this, lean in. I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Okay, so here's some context on John B. Okay, this guy was a man chosen by God to till the soil for Jesus. And he was baptizing people. He was preaching about repentance. He was shaking things up, speaking truth to power. So the religious leaders hated this man. And they're like, who the heck are you? Who has an identity so rooted that you can come to us, people in power, and talk about God the way that you do? They were asking this question, who are you? They're like, are you the Christ? He's like, nah. Are you the go-to prophet? He's like, no. He says, I am the voice crying out in the wilderness, make, way, this, make straight the way of the Lord. Here's what I think his response teaches us is that John B. had an identity secured. He was not looking to what the religious leaders wanted him to say. He knew who he was. And verse 6 says this, there was a man set from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Okay, here's what I love about John the Baptist. This man knew exactly who he was. He had precision on his identity. It was a man sent from God and of God. And because he knew who he was, he knew he wasn't. John the Baptist was not the point of the world. He was the pointer. He was not the light. He was a witness to the light. And here's what I love about John B. 
because he had crystal clear understanding of who he was, a man of God and sent by God, he knew his purpose. That his purpose was not to build a kingdom of his own, but to make way for the king. Okay, if you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. His identity was secured, and so his purpose was clear. Okay, here's my question for you. If we were to sit down at a coffee table, which I hope we get to, how would you answer that question, who are you? Okay, maybe for some of you, you would answer that question through academics or athletics, okay? I'm gonna impersonate some of you guys. Don't be offended if this is exactly you, okay? Maybe you're like, I'm the smartest person ever exists, dude, okay? I get full pronouns, no problem. I'm going somewhere with my life, academics. Maybe some of you guys are like, I'm the goaded athlete. Back when I was a sophomore, I got like 600 receiving yards. I live for that. You're like, people, comments, hashtag goat on my Instagram post. You're like, haven't played football since then, but you still think you're an athlete. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this is too personal. I'm just saying. It's a problem. Like, stop. You haven't played football in like six years. We all feel that way. I'm sorry if you actually do play football. It's not at you. You currently play. Okay. That's too aggressive. Maybe for some of you guys would answer that question through religion and morality. You'd say something like, I grew up in a Christian home. I do good things most of the time. I have a Christian verse in my Instagram bio. That's who I am. I'm a Christian. I'm a religious person. Or maybe for some of you, it would be through the lens of social media. You got a Instagram. You got 300 followers on that thing. You're like, I'm making it. That's how you'd answer that question. Again, that was not personal. I'm sorry if that's literally you. It's just an example. Here's what culture says on how to find your identity. On how to answer that question, who are you? It gives you two options. The first one is to look within. It's introspection, to look within yourself and whatever you feel is your ultimate identity. Your sexuality is your ultimate identity. Your race is your ultimate identity. Who you believe you are is your ultimate identity and that identity shifts with how you feel about yourself. The second option it gives you is to look around. Take in the affirmation and accolades of the people around you, how good you are at something, what people are saying about you. Those are the two options culture gives you. Look within or look around. Listen, Saul, come here. I want you to understand this. We're going to talk about this all year. That identity formation machine will leave you incredibly fragile. You'll spend the rest of your life trying to prove to yourself that you're someone important or trying to garner from other people that you're someone important. But here's what could happen to you at 90 years old. You can look back and say, I'm still insecure. I don't know who I am. So maybe for some of you in here tonight, what you need is something better. Not an identity formed by culture, not an identity about what you say about you or what others say about you. But here's what the Bible would call you to, an identity based on what God says about you. Because here's what's true about people and yourself. You change all the time, do you not? How many days of the week do you actually wake up feeling happy about who you are? You change all the time. People's perceptions of you will always change. But the one thing that will never change is who God says you are if you believe in him. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And what he says about you is constant. Everything else will change. Listen, what, what the Spirit of God might be doing in you right now, in this moment, is stirring your soul to show you that the fragile identity formation of culture just cannot be enough. You need something more. You need an identity not from yourself, but from others. Okay, so that's the second most important question that I want to have a conversation with you tonight, is who are you? 
But in order to answer that question, you actually have to ask a more important question, okay? <laughs> Boom, hoodwink, okay. You need to ask the question, who is Jesus? Look with me to verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he who, of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, for, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and borne witness that this is the son of God. Okay, so the question of tonight, that's even more important than who are you? What's your identity in? Is it formed by culture or by Christ? Is actually this question, who is Jesus? Okay, back then, there were a lot of different perspectives on who Jesus was. Is he a moral teacher? Ooh. Is he a heretical prophet? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> what was he? Today, there's many perspectives on who Jesus is. And maybe some of you have walked in with these types of perspectives. Is Jesus a puppet for the conservative party? Is he an outdated historical figure? Is he a promoter of religion institution? I want to be really clear with you right now. This is what we're about here at Salt Company. It's asking and answering that question week in and week out through every text of the Bible that we're going to teach. We're going to teach John, and then we're going to go Ecclesiastes, which is going to be fire. And then we're going Colossians, so it's going to be a great time. But every text, every verse, we're going to be asking the question, who is Jesus? Here's why. Here's what we fundamentally believe here at Salt Company. That the point of Christianity, the point of the world, and the point of your life is nothing other than Jesus. We just believe that he is the son of God who died on a cross and rose for us, and so he deserves all of our worship. It's not about your morality. It's not about your background. It's not what you can bring to the table to God. It is about what God has brought to the table for you. That is what we believe. And so every single Thursday night, it is not about the name of Salt Company. It is not about anyone on the stage. It is about King Jesus. And so we will unapologetically ask that question every single night. Who is Jesus? Okay, now let's ask that question. Why? Yeah, I know you believe that, Tony, but like that's your opinion, okay? Why is asking the question, who is Jesus, so important? Here's why. The answer to the question, who is Jesus, will determine three things about you that will transform your life. The first thing is, who is Jesus will determine your identity. The second thing is, who is Jesus will determine your legacy. And the third one is, your eternal future. Okay, so let's just do a little thought idea, okay? If Jesus is not the Lamb of God, if he is not the Son of God who rose from the dead, then what he says about you, frankly, does not matter which means you could spend the rest of your life garnering affection from others or looking within yourself and you will have nothing to show for it at the end of your life. Your identity will be fragile, not secured. But this is a thought process. It's like, what if he is? If Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, then his words speak louder in your life than any other person. If he is the Lamb of God, the Son of God, then what he says about you is eternal. It cannot be changed. It cannot be taken from you. It cannot be removed from your identity. Here's what can happen to you right now tonight. Jesus Christ can give you an identity so firm and so secure that even if everything else goes wrong in your life, you lose everything else this culture says you should value. You have him and you can never lose him. He will give you an identity that's secure. Okay, second thing is your legacy. 
Listen, if Jesus isn't the lamb, then you can spend the rest of your life pursuing a legacy of yourself, but it will crumble. You can build your brand. You can have even 3,000 followers on Instagram. <laughs> Exciting, 10x. You can build your brand. You can build up treasures that wrath and moss will destroy. But 200 years after you die, you will have lived for nothing eternal. Listen, when you die, there is no, there is no U-Haul on the back of a hearse. You can't take with you the things you get in this world. So if Jesus is not the lamb, then you will live for things that don't matter. But here's what's invited. It's so cool. I'm so excited for this. If Jesus is the lamb of God and the lamb of your life, then everything you do matters. You get invited in a life of faithfulness where literally everything you do in Christ's name matters. Every single day you wake up and say, I want to follow Jesus and make much of him, that will be written on the pages of eternity. You don't even have to be someone impressive to leave a legacy in the kingdom of God. If you know Jesus, then everything you do matters. Faithfulness is forever. So you can live a life with immense purpose, even just waking up, going to class, doing your homework. That can all be done in Jesus' name, and it'll be written in eternity. Okay, the third thing that who Jesus is will impact is your eternal future. Listen, if Jesus is not the Lamb of God, if he does not exist, if the Bible is not real, then here's what's true about your life. The moment after you die, you cease to exist. And if that's true, eat, drink, and be merry. Do whatever you want with your life. Pursue pleasure and possessions until you die, and then die without those pleasure and possessions. But if Jesus Christ is a lamb, and I need you to hear this, then whether or not you believe in him, eternity exists. Which means every single person in this room will spend forever either with him or without him, in heaven forever with him or in hell apart from him. So how you answer that question, who is Jesus, doesn't just direct the life you live now, it directs all of your future. Who is Jesus? Okay, here's the clincher of this sermon. I know that got really deep, but that's going to happen a lot. I'm going to crack B minus jokes, and I'm going to hit you with some real stuff, okay? It's just going to happen if you come back, okay? You don't have to. I'm just inviting you back Thursday. We do it again. Okay, here's a clincher of this sermon. I just spent the last 15 minutes talking to you about why I think you should live a life of legacy. And guys, I really want you to. There's like 800 people here, and I would be so sad if none of you lived a life that mattered. I would be so sad if you spent the rest of your life building a kingdom on this earth that will just disappear after you die. But here's the clincher of this sermon. Here's what will happen if you try to pursue your own legacy in your own name. If your primary pursuit in life is your own legacy, here's what's going to happen. You will lose your legacy, and you will lose the lamb. Jesus will not have any other pursuits outside of him that he is the one for. But here's the best part of this sermon. If you pursue the lamb, if at the end of your life you get to say with your mouth, I lived for Jesus, then you will gain a legacy as well. But here's what I want to tell you is kind of the bad news of that good news, okay? It will cost you everything. Listen, I am just not interested 
and being your spiritual used car salesman, okay, for the rest of the year, where I try to convince you that Christianity is easy. It's not. Where I try to convince you that Christianity is all about good vibes. Listen, we love having good vibes, but that's not all this sucker is, okay? Here's what Christianity is. It is a story of death to life. Think about the idea of following Jesus. What does that mean? It means that you live like him, is that not? So if you want to follow him, here's what you're going to have to do. You are going to have to follow Jesus up to the cross. It is a death to life story where he died for your sins and resurrected again and life came after death. Listen, if you want to follow Jesus this year, if you want to take him seriously this year, if you don't just want him to be a little thing on the side, but you want him to be the focal point of your life, it will require you to die. There's an immense cost to following Jesus. I want you to think about John the Baptist. What did it cost John the Baptist? Right after this scene, he says, behold the lamb. And then you know what happens to John B.? That guy loses all his followers. It's savage immediately. He's like, Jesus, and then they all go and follow him. Listen, if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to lose some social capital. It was not cool to follow Jesus then. It is not cool to follow Jesus now. The second thing it cost John B. was his brand, okay? Think about the most famous thing that he said. I must decrease and he must increase, okay? Listen, Modern-day evangelical Christianity has co-opted that saying, and the application is, he must increase, but I too must increase. People are so concerned about building their brands in Christianity. Salt Company, let me tell you about this. A self-promoting Christian is an oxymoron. There is no such thing as you promoting yourself in pursuit of Jesus. If Jesus becomes the ultimate point of your life, it is all about him and not about you. It will cost you your social capital, it will cost you your brand, and ultimately, here's what it cost John B. It cost him his life. He was martyred for believing in Jesus. It will cost you everything. So here's his legacy. I know I introduced John B. like he lived this like incredible life. Honestly, guys, he wore camel hair, ate honey, and locusts. I don't know, it's kind of weird. And then he met Jesus, and he lost his followers, his brand, and eventually his own life, and yet 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him because he met the lamb and he lives for the lamb. So I, I'm gonna share my own story a lot this year if you end up coming around, not because I think I'm impressive, I'm not, but just because I was radically broken and Jesus saved me. So we grew up incredibly poor in the projects of Nashville, Tennessee. My dad made four and a half dollars an hour as an overnight janitor. And so my entire life, and some of you guys get this, you grew up kind of in that situation, my entire life I just wanted to make it. I just wanted to leave a legacy in my name. I wanted to build my own brand. I wanted to make much of myself. I was saved when I was 16, but it wasn't until college in Salt Company where I was discipled. And here's what happened to me. I fell more in love with the lamb than my own legacy. And it changed my life. And I realized that Christianity wasn't about climbing up the social ladder or making a brand of myself. It was climbing down the ladder and picking up my cross. So listen, here's my invitation for you. Do not spend the next four years or 40 years of your life pursuing your own legacy. That self will crumble. It will die when you do. Spend the next four years and 40 years of your life pursuing the lamb and it will be the greatest adventure of death to yourself and life in Christ. Okay.
As I call the worship band back up, I want to speak to three groups of people here tonight. The first group is if you've grown up around Christianity, and instead of beholding the lamb, frankly, you look at your heart and you're like, I'm kind of bored by the lamb. I've heard this a little bit too much. I, do you guys have something better than the gospel? Like, do you have something? No. Here's the call for you in this text. Humble yourself at the feet of Jesus. You must decrease. All your preferences and all your pride must decrease as he increases in your life. You hear me? That's my invitation for you. The second group of people I want to talk to tonight is if you're here and I'm asking that question, who are you? And you're like, dude, I don't know. I'm asking the question, who is Jesus? And you're like, dude, I don't know. Then here's my invitation for you. Join a campus group. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. Julie's going to cast some vision for it. But honestly, listen, campus group is the perfect environment to ask hard questions. Our leaders love them and they're killer, okay? Like in a good way. You're going to love them. You're going to love them. And the third group of people I want to talk to tonight is if maybe the Spirit of God started stirring in your soul when we started talking about your identity. You don't know who you are. You spent the last 20 years of your life trying to figure it out. And frankly, you're exhausted. You're afraid of the future and you're anxious about what's next. Maybe the Spirit of God is stirring in your soul tonight to not ask the question, who are you, but to ask the question, who is Jesus? And maybe for you, for the first time tonight, you're beginning to behold the Lamb. You're seeing his beauty. And my invitation for you is Jesus Christ loves broken people. So you can be in on the family of God because that's what Jesus came to do. Okay, as we close out our time together, I want us to just actually apply John 1, okay? Here's what John did. He beheld the lamb. Here's what that means. Behold is to gaze upon, to look at the beauty of Jesus and say, Jesus, you're all that I want. So what I want to do tonight is actually end our time together. For you, maybe it's the first time you've heard about this. Maybe it's the thousandth time. I want us to end together by beholding the lamb of God from Genesis 3 to Revelation 5, okay? Here's what happened in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve sinned. They were brought out of the family of God. As they sinned, they were ashamed of themselves. They were covered in shame. So what did God do? He killed an animal to clothe them in their shame. Come back to that. Genesis 22. There's this moment where Abraham and Isaac, very two very important people in the Bible, went up on this hill. And then God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And right before the knife hits Isaac, what does God do? He provides Abraham. Okay, Exodus 19, this is my last Old Testament reference. There's this moment where the people of God are going to leave Egypt after 400 years of slavery, and God sends an angel of death to sweep through Egypt. And every firstborn would die unless, unless you had the blood of a lamb painted over the doorpost of your house, and that blood would save you. John 1, God did not just send a lamb, but he sent a man to be the final fulfillment of all of his plans. John 19, the Lamb of God, the only Son of God, would climb up on a cross and be crucified for our sins. Here's what would happen in John 19 that didn't happen in Genesis 22. In Genesis 22, God stopped the knife before it hit Isaac, but in John 19, he did not stop the knife before it hit Jesus. Why? Why save Isaac then, but not his only son? Because God sent a lamb to be the sacrifice for Isaac. But Jesus Christ was our sacrifice. He is our salvation lamb. But the story of the gospel is this. He did not die, but he rose again. And in Revelation chapter five, here's who the lamb of God is. 
He's a lamb who has been slaughtered, who is worthy to open the scroll. And so here's what's going to happen. For all of eternity, every creature that has bowed their knee to King Jesus will sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain, who took away the sins of the world and took away the sin in my life. And so here's my invitation for you. If you're here and you have not yet received the good news of Jesus, you too can join in on the chorus of saying, King Jesus, I want to worship you forever. I want to sing of the lamb who was slain so that I can be set free. And all you have to do tonight is to take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost of your heart and say, I believe that the blood of the lamb saves. Let me pray that that would be true of us. Father, we believe in this moment that you are working in mighty ways. Father, all it takes is the blood. Nothing else but the blood. The Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. Who is Jesus? The sacrificed Son of God that would be sacrificed in our place. The Lamb's blood that would be over our hearts. And Jesus, it's in knowing you that we get to be invited into an eternal party forever. Singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. That's the song on our lips forever if we believe in you. So, Father, tonight I pray that you would do something mighty in this place. That people would bow their knees to King Jesus. That they would behold him for the first time. And the blood of the lamb would cover their sin and cover the doorposts of their hearts. Father, would you move? We believe that you will. We believe that you have and that you've been writing the salvation story for all of human history. It's you, Jesus. It's only you. It's always been you. And it will always be you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.